A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I don't like blood. most cozy fall autumn day we've had this entire year. Would you say that to be the case, Paul? Uh, I would say that. I would say that is the case. We have a beautiful 3.50 p.m. sort of sun setting, pre-daylight savings time. That's right. And you have the door open here with a nice, crisp, crisp autumnal. And it's not even, I would say, a breeze. It's just... Yeah, air. Yeah, it's just nice, just cool a air. flow, just a light flow. Um, and uh, the trees are looking particularly buttery yellow. And, uh, <laughs> um, you mean like Butterball from uh, Hellraiser? Butterball was the most nefarious <laughs> member. Uh, <laughs> that was a. If you guys like that, you should subscribe to our Patreon, where in a future mailbag I talk about. <laughs> Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> no, I told you after the mailbag. So hey, you gotta subscribe to our lives. <laughs> yes, to our lives right now. Where uh, I did watch the Hellraiser remake. Yeah, uh, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. And I watched it uh, with some friends. And one of the friends watched some Hellraiser videos on YouTube, where a guy goes to the Hellraiser characters and he says things like. Butterball was the most nefarious <laughs> members of Pinhead's court. <laughs> Do you think like <laughs> I will be like showering <laughs> and I'll be like showering and just out of nowhere, Butterball was the most nefarious <laughs> member and I'll start laughing. I was like I so laying in questions. bed a couple of nights ago laughing to myself. I have so many questions. Is that based on evidence or you think that's his opinion, this guy? <laughs> I think I think it is on evidence, but at the end, he reaches a conclusion of his own. And do you agree with that? I do think Butterball is the most nefarious <laughs> member. <laughs> I'm dying to see this. But you know what is not nefarious is our podcast with Gorley and Rust, right? That's right. I am once again the titular Gorley. 
And I am a titular rust. And this is the podcast that we do an easy listen, cozy talk at mm-hmm. length, often greater than the movies. Mm-hmm. Today, it's consenting adults just to get a little business done because we've got all kinds of sure. fun. You can go to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust and get full-length feature commentary episodes. Ooh. You can get cozy award tournament episodes and draft episodes, mailbag Damn. episodes. You can get our initial reactions to Halloween ends That's before right. we do a proper episode about that. Yeah, this uh, this month we'll, we're going to do the proper episode near the end, right? That's uh, right. Or, uh, November. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And... Um, you know, I don't know if I was making this up or there was some evidence for this, but butterball is the best. <laughs> no, uh, I was thinking that there might be a dip in subscribership because of yuppie nightmares. For some reason, I thought there was a real pr- strong call for Chucky and and less so for yuppie nightmares. I've found that that's reversed. It's the reverse. We dipped a bit in Chucky. Oh. And our subscribership has never been higher. People are loving Happy oh, Nightmares. That's great. Um, uh, I can only imagine it's for the same reason that these movies were so gosh darn popular yeah. at, 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 in this time period. Yeah. Why married couples were just rushing out in droves to see consenting adults. <laughs> I mean, we're talking a Alan J. Pakula film. This is... This is crazy. This is to kill a mockingbird, all the president's men, and now Kevin Spacey Clute trying to yeah and, uh, the paranoia trilogy yeah. yeah three days of the condor mm-hmm. parallax view presumed oh, innocent. Uh, parallax view not three days of the condor but yes. both right no he didn't do uh just parallax view oh but he did Clute didn't he? yes oh yeah 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 and yeah. he didn't do three days of the condor. I don't believe. What I am could, I thinking of? Well, no, but that is part of the that trilogy. That oh, there about is is Parallax View, Clute, Parallax View, All the President's Men is that little paranoid. Oh, trilogy. All the President's Men. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, um, not All the President's Menses. Listen, we don't. Hey, I'm putting you on the spot for a response right now. Matt. I don't Sorry, have buddy. one. Sorry, buddy. I uh, don't have one <laughs> except to go on to more business. Uh, <laughs> listen, a lovely listener named Josh Brown, a trustee, I believe, sent us. Yes, this. this is for you. Thank you. This is for me. Full size LP vinyl. Of with Gorley and Rust on the cover, the, the podcast art, and then he put music that has been relevant to this podcast. Oh my on. god! Starts with the. It's on the record. Yeah. What? Very cool. It starts with the theme to with Gorley and Rust, and then the theme to Friday Thirteenth Part Three. Oh my god! Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street. What a special gift! Alien Gremlins, Body Double, Jaws, Scream. Oh my god. There's a song called Corn Kids. <laughs> to put a needle on a vinyl and have uh, Pino Dinaggio coming out of the speaker. How lucky Forget are we? about it. And look at the last track on side B, The Peaceful Land from Consenting Adults by Michael Small, which is what we're talking about today. Oh, my God. It, it's it's caught right up. Yeah. To, to the, um, this is like the uh, previously on of vinyl records. <laughs> That's right. Well, thank you, Josh. And also, thank you, Josh. You mentioned it's past 3 p.m. today. We decided we'd meet a little later today because um, I mentioned, I think, that um, 
Eric from License to Drink sent us some with Gorlian Rust themed cocktails. Yes. So we're going to do a little bit of sipping sure. and tasting. I've also busted out a pumpkin spider just for tradition's sake. Of course. Now, do you want to start with the shape? Because I've had this one and it's tremendous. Yes, I'll do the shape. It's a pumpkin spice old fashioned. Oh, that was the question I had asked you. Um when you were out of the room and then I was like, sorry, I'll wait until you come back in. <laughs> I was, it was, uh, had you tried these, you and Amanda? Yes, yeah. I've tried two of them, but I wanted to wait at least for one oh, of them. Oh, beautiful. This is... Um, so this is the shape. Pumpkin Spice Old Fashioned. It's it's a white dog rye whiskey, pumpkin spice simple syrup, and that's it. Wow. Okay. <laughs> you tell me when. Okay. Oh, that's good. Okay. Me too. I'm just going to have a smidge. Save room for all of them. Now we're, we can do this because we are consenting adults. That's right. And cheers. Cheers. Take shape. Oh, that's good. Ooh, yum, yum, yum. That does taste like an old fashioned. Mm hmm. We can space these out a little bit, but I thought we'd start well, with one. We probably should. You know, when I was. um. I don't know if I shared, but, uh, you know, in COVID, um, uh, when I'm at home, um, I, I don't drink. I just, I drink when I go out socially yeah. with people at bars and stuff. Um, and so when at COVID, it was the opposite experience, I think, of a lot of people where I was right. like, oh, I'm not drinking when I'm at home. I'm just here. That's the way to do it. Um, I well, do. I'm not, I, I'm no saying. I was smoking and stuff so is that I've done, all i did was drink during covid what's that all i did was drink i during think COVID. most people did i think it's probably the way to bear that situation yeah. but um you know because i was doing a, a before covid just going out and recreationally with friends and then when i went into covid i sort of uh my tolerance got a little oh, off so you and so now when i drink something i it comes a little stronger so i have to be careful uh, gotcha uh, is what i'm saying we'll take it easy um i'll let you uh by the end i'll be like kevin spacey was wronged <laughs> i thought you were, oh yeah <laughs> He was railroaded. Uh, I was like, oh no, Paul, Paul. I'll let what you sleep thinking? it off while I read the baby Zenos. Oh, now, good. if you subscribe at the Xenomorph level on Patreon, you get your name shouted out. Just email us. Uh, it's all you got to do. Just email us at withgorleyandrust at uh, gmail.com and put in the subject baby Xenomorph. And if you have a special shout out or something you need read. Because mm -hmm. it's getting too hard to dig through the bodies yeah. of the emails. We appreciate yeah. your service. Yeah. Okay. First up, Jennifer Penny. Um, and she doesn't require anything. Hey. She just, just the thrill of the game. <laughs> Catherine Fultz just wants to hear her name. Way to go. My, uh, Michelle Stovall. Read by the Southern lawyer if he's not too busy. Well, <laughs> funny you should say that because I'm on a bit of a holiday. I've gone down to the Caribbean and I've been <laughs> having um, almond joys on the beach, but they get so melted they fall in the sand and I still eat them. Anyway. <laughs> but what happens in the Caribbean happens in the Caribbean because that's where I am. You understand that? Now, I coined that phrase. <laughs> Okay, I got to uh, go. I smell the Caribbean Tourist Council. Oh, uh, come on. I can't. That would be a conflict of interest because my client, Candyman 
I believe, oh. is, isn't he from the Caribbean or the West Indies? Yeah. Okay, you gotta represent him. It wasn't bad enough. He gotta have a hook for a hand, but also we gotta have a bunch of bees biting him all the time <laughs> no, and then die in a fire. How many myths and legends can one man have? Just the burden of myths that this man has to carry. Let him go. Thank you. I rest my case. <laughs> Live from Zoom in the Caribbean beach eating almond joys. And finally, we got John Michael Rose, who would like to have Bradley and Terrence shout out his name. Oh. Hmm. Hi. hi which one was I? Uh, Bradley. I'm Bradley. I'm Bradley Droop. And I'm Terrence Flim. And we're here to say John Michael Rose. John Michael Rose. Wow. There we did it. Thanks for sticking through us. With uh, us everybody. Um, a nice little uh, rare appearance by those by those two boys. Yeah, we'll talk about when we do a Halloween ends episode that the the inspiration for I mean clearly with Gorley and Rust was Oh, at the beginning of the stolen from <laughs> blindly. Um I I didn't feel that to be true. Other people online have said that, but when we saw in the theater, you leaned over and you're like, hey, this is really a difference. Yeah, I know. I don't think they stole it. But no, I don't think you did either. Yeah, it was just but such it a was. funny thing when you leaned over and I was like, hey, yeah. I'm watching a Halloween movie with Matt. I know. Yeah. They didn't steal it because they asked us for permission. Right. No, it's not us. It's not us. <laughs> Listen. And then finally, let's just talk a little bit of scheduling. Um, yes. We've got, after this, we've got Two more yuppie nightmare movies. Mm-hmm. Then next week is Sliver, and the week yeah. after that is Fear. That's right, Swath and Courage. And if you thought, hey, none of these movie titles are going to be one word, we got you covered. Yeah, and we saved two. it for the last yeah. two. <laughs> then uh, you got your mailbags episodes coming the second Tuesday of every month. Normally, you get a commentary the second Tuesday of every month on Patreon, but this. November, you're getting the Halloween Ends episode mm-hmm. specifically and especially for Patreon subscribers. Then in December, you'll get your mailbag. You'll get your uh, – we're going to do an episode where we reevaluate some of our ratings mm. on these movies because mm-hmm. we found that they, uh, they are not holding need to, firm. Yeah, need a reevaluation. And then I believe we're back December 23rd with our series of holiday movies. Mm-hmm. And Tis that's the season. All the news that's fit to print. Yeah, uh, according to Grey Lady. That's right. Yeah, New York Times. Mm-hmm. Um, it took me too long to realize that's why it's called Times Square. Because New York oh. Times offices are right there. Oh, yeah. How about that? Times Square. Yeah. It is. It's not Times Square. It's Times that S gets. Times Square. Yeah. Yeah. Whose S, which word does the S belong to? Whose? Yeah, we're going to go there and like, answer us this. Yeah. Whose S does the word belong to? S, you need to fucking pick a word. You can't <laughs> stay with both. The words are divorcing. You got to go live with one of them. <laughs> um, all right. So, Jesus Christ, where do we start? Well, okay. This was your choice. Yeah. Um, I... So glad you picked it. <laughs> this needed to be a part of this run of movies because for me, this I'm trying to think of what is consenting adults to this run in terms of other franchise sequels. Oh yeah, like this is the blank of the Halloween. Oh right. 
Because for me, it's this weird mix of, you know, it, it it's a bad movie, <laughs> but it doesn't, it looks great and it sounds great mm -hmm. and has uh, attractive actors it, It's and it's made by smart people. It just doesn't coalesce. Yeah. And in a weird way, that doesn't happen and i know you can't compare it to sequels to it i'm being a little silly i know what here, you mean but like it, it if we look at these as kind of like one answers is sort of a response to the other they're kind mm -hmm. of building their little tropes along the way i do go kind of like uh is this the like jaws three oh. <laughs> or something or the freddy's dead where it's just like there's just so many preposterous i know lazy sloppy stuff yeah. that's like not physically on screen it's like but i don't know most sequels in these movies they're like they look incompetent and are incompetent i know <laughs> this way well, do you think like it's this. because thanks to brantley we've learned more about this than we mm. might not have oh 10 minutes was cut from this movie and i was watching last night going this has to be a, an odd edit or the studio did the edit or there's stuff missing because they were referring to things that weren't there. And, and the 10 minutes, 25 minutes. There's so much in this movie where I was like, the daughter never talks. There's just no dialogue scenes between yeah. any of the parents and their child, like that stuff to get. Or suddenly Mar uh, Ma Master Antonio, what's her name? Uh, Mary Elizabeth. Oh, Master that she's with. Uh, she's just with Kevin Spacey and there's been no real set up for that no and uh, uh uh the um neck brace faked insurance thing is oh, so rushed insane because they're they're out of the vacation house then that happens back at his work and then they're just back at the vacation they're house. literally putting music score over kevin klein and uh uh, uh, uh richard and yeah. his wife um, as they're driving out of the scoring session talking about something else and they're just putting music over it because they can't use that dialogue. Oh, yeah. And then he runs into Kevin Spacey with his car. It's so strange. And like, So he was at their work because they seem to be leaving like a scoring session or something. The only sense I can make of it is in these notes that Brantley gave us, it talks quite a bit about how Pacu Pac I always want to say Pacula, like Scott Bakula or Dracula. Pakula, who was renowned for the movies he'd made, mm -hmm. wanted to try new things most every time he did a movie. And mm -hmm. he says he's just very, uh, I guess he felt very grateful that studios would allow him to do that. And he said, this time, I'm just going to do a thriller. And so Kevin Klein had worked with him on Sophie's Choice. Mm -hmm. And he was talking to Mary Elizabeth Master Antonio saying, "You don't worry, Pakula's like the he's the best director for actors. You won't see anybody else on set. He'll work with you. Mm -hmm. And they got on set and he didn't care about the actors. All he cared about was the camera and everything because this was his new like hobby version. Like this is the new thing he wanted to try. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of evident. Yeah. Brantley uh, Palmer's notes as always are so great. That was like a very illuminating thing to hear. And then also that the week before they started shooting, the actors found out that uh, Alan Pakula had rewritten the second half of the movie and that originally um, uh, Richard's wife, not Isabel, what's her name? Um, I forget. That's why I keep... Uh, boy. She was supposed to be uh, the villain. Right. The mastermind. The mastermind the behind it all. And so 
once I heard that, then I was like, oh, that's why things get particularly screwy around the middle, the back half of them. Once he goes to jail, yeah, the movie just becomes so untethered and uh, really just kind of like motorless. And There's also just like somehow- 20 minutes where he's trying to get people to listen to his demo tape. <laughs> <laughs> also somehow kind of boring too. Yeah. Um, but like you said, I, I was, I'm so glad I watched it. Oh, it's- it looks so good. And the time period that it exists in is like my favorite that like, it could be the worst movie with the most vile, um, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> well, yes. And I'd still like want to be uh, watching it. I guess that's true. Granted, you got it. Yeah, it happened. Uh, I know. And the, and you've got Kevin Klein, who I adore, and he never looked better. And he's got cool 90s dad hey, fashion. Talk about the mustache trope. I Yes. So this is interesting. And I we I can't believe this didn't come up last time we talked about Patrick Bergen's mustache and Matt McCoy's beard. Kevin Klein somehow to me transcends all of that and I don't take connotation from his mustache I feel like he can wear (laughs) a mustache with impunity do you feel that way I I felt like the mustache was used in the mustache way of its period right now as an indicator Mm. of questionable morality like if you wanted to see him as a true straight arrow uh, who's not emasculated or trying to prove something, he, he would just have a clean face. <laughs> I know. But the mustache is like, to let you know, like he might be a Patrick Bergen yeah, over here. Because he has a mustache in Fish Called Wanda and he's a real asshole. He's a bad that. guy. And I think in the IMDb trivia, it said this was the first time he had a mustache for a non-comedic role. That it was a for <sighs> dramatic, because I think of the January man, he has a mustache and stuff, but that's more romantic comedy or maybe it has thriller in it. I don't know, but it is weird to see Kevin Klein and with no sense of humor. I mean, he's so serious in this movie. Yeah, there's Not really no levity at any point. I never thought of because uh, yeah, I way prefer I shouldn't say that because I really love him in the ice storm. Well, should they have been swapped? Because I mean, taking away what you wouldn't have known about Kevin right. Spacey at the time Think about kind of meek Kevin Spacey and then this like really charismatic, charming. Because when Kevin well, Klein's charismatic, he is charismatic. Yeah, well, what's crazy about it is it's a stew of their other movies in a way before they were made. So it's like Kevin Klein's playing the Lester Burnham character in American Beauty that Kevin Spacey plays of like, <sighs> I'm the repressed suburb guy and... I'm starting to get interested in that there might be something more exciting out there. And then Kevin Klein's kind of doing a version of his Ice Storm character of like, I'm a repressed suburb dad who's horny. And what do I do with that? I did think like, oh, it is cool that Kevin Klein seems to be drawn to like playing characters like this of trying to like figure out what's going on with like regular it seems like he's making a play at a michael douglas move uh, and when you were saying maybe i think the parts could be flipped that would be good i I, I did think like michael douglas is built i mean it's just too much like fatal attraction but yeah. like there's a part where when he's on the roof and he he 
chokes K. Yeah. When he's like, give me the answers. And Kevin Klein just does not seem comfortable going no. to a dark place. Like, he's just like, kind of tenderly puts his hand. Now, I'm not expecting him to really throttle the actor, but it's so fun. And then, like, there's a point where he's chasing down his wife. And he has to grab her, like, next to the, like, marsh that they're at. Oh, yeah. And if you see, he's, like, running up to her. Then he reaches out. And then he just kind of, like, tenderly touches her. <laughs> like, Kevin Clay is just not comfortable being Do you think that that's because he, dark. he, like, the notes have said that he didn't get much direction? And that, I can't believe an actor like Kevin Klein wouldn't be able to kind of shape his own thing. But he actually seems devoid of character in this. So many scenes is just still not quiet. talking. Yeah. And scenes I, is that a choice? He's not even responding to yeah. defend himself to his wife. I know. Yeah. It's Which weird. now makes sense with this. If she was supposed to always be the villain, you realize like why in prison he's at no point. Is there a part where he goes, I think you might be wrong about this. Like yeah, he just yeah. kind of like automatically takes his lumps. And I, my wife, Leslie, has made me most aware of this. It's always bothered me in movies and TV shows, but lately she points it out the most, which is the, it's an age old thing, but it's like, just tell the person what's I going yes, on. Yes. And when she's like, you're not a man like Kevin Spacey is <laughs> or whatever. Like, oh, he, he actually takes risks. Yeah. He's a much better man than you. All you have to do is go, he wants to do this thing where we switch and I go fuck his wife and he fucks you while you're sleeping. Or also when he then says- the wife will go, oh, he's a terrible man. Yeah. Forget this. I'm sorry. We shouldn't have never taken this money. Also when he he's sitting in the jail talking to her and he goes, you, everyone told me to do this. You told me to do this. And she said, what? And yeah. you told me to take a risk. Uh, that does not mean fuck. Oh, if he really was thinking she wants me to take a risk, dude, just floating the idea of swinging would be a risk enough. Yeah, you don't yeah. have to do the like swapping in night under the cloak of darkness, having non-consensual sex with each other's wives. Who like then turns out to not even be that woman. Not the woman, and then also Kevin Spacey doesn't hold up the other. Yeah, so yeah. this I was surprised at how much this movie actually isn't about the like wife non-consensual wife swapping. That that's a setup for a, a murder and a con job. I didn't see that coming. No, I wasn't surprised. Yeah, when <laughs> look, I I when I was watching this movie about thirty minutes in, I was like, I don't know what's happening after this, and I had to assume. Last time I watched it, I was like, this is getting too preposterous, and I shut it off. Because there was stuff that I don't remember seeing, so oh, I don't think I watched the full thing. Yeah. But yeah, when Kay showed up murdered in the bed, um, and that was a true surprise. I yes. wasn't expecting that. And then, yeah, when it was like, it wasn't really her body. It was kind of this like vertigo body double thing of he mistook... It's such a weird script move because she ends up, he ends up killing her anyway. So, <laughs> so just so and they that can... talk about the sloppy. I mean, that was bewildering. He walks off the roof. He goes down yeah. to the lobby. The camera pans to that like weird vagabond. Uh, uh, the guy just kind of hanging out in the lobby. Yeah. Then out of nowhere, it cuts to 
Kevin Klein booking it in a lobby uh, up an elevator and down the hallway and then seeing her bludgeon. So it was like, yeah. what made you turn around? Well, because he realized the guy that called him down to the lobby wasn't there. And he, I think he realized something was up. But like they don't. Uh, this was my main thing that I was like, you know, with a thriller, I think maybe because we've been telling jokes our whole life or thinking about comedy. Just the idea of how do you set up a joke and yeah, pay it off is yeah. just like not as interesting to me, right? Or right, I mean, it's just new things to think about. So I've just been thinking like, how do you set up a thriller moment and pay it off? And there's things in this where I'm just like, it's just scene after scene of somebody telling a joke poorly. <laughs> yes. I'm just like the setup isn't good. So like, yeah. I didn't see in the lobby him stop and go, oh shit, I gotta get. It was like him walking off camera. And then just running back up, and I was like, "Okay." Or, or just, and that seemed like a fault, honestly, in the editing. Because I wonder if that exists. I really wonder if there is a decent version of this movie not edited. You know, mm -hmm. that exists somewhere in God's screening room or something. You know. Well, I am curious what the like ten minutes cut out and the whole backstory of the studios work with this because mm. that opening scene which never the crux of that scene which is he's getting notes from the suits about yeah. how to write the jingle and he yells this isn't a fucking symphony it's a jingle that to me felt like the mission statement of Alan Pakula <laughs> which is like don't expect all the president's men from me guys this is a jingle version of a thriller and Hollywood pictures is the equivalent of the people yelling, going like, you got to do this. You got to change that. You got to And him going, just shut up. Let me do this. Because the whole movie felt like this. Like, I mean, when, when Brantley set the notes, it, it started shooting in late January, 92, which is like three weeks after the hand, the rocks, the cradle came out mm -hmm. also released by Hollywood pictures. I would not yeah. want to be on the set making a new thriller when the studio just got successful on another thriller and now sees that as their oh, yeah. thing. We make adult thrillers. Now everybody has an opinion. I'm just like speculating. And, and we didn't talk about it with The Hand the Rocks the Cradle, but Hollywood Pictures, um, the in Entertainment Weekly, they're like, there's a term in Hollywood. If it's the Sphinx, it stinks. Oh, you did? Yeah, oh, we So did I did talk, talk yeah, about that. Yeah. So yeah, like, I think it was just like... Hollywood Pictures, Touchstone, Disney, whatever that Buena Vista thing is, they're releasing a movie a week. Oh, my God. They don't really need the script to be, like, A+. plus. It's just, like, get this fucking product out. Yeah, disposable. So, it just felt this, like, this really kind of crass studio, we're not making a, a – we're making a jingle here. It but just, don't you think that the thing that's carrying through in these films we're doing, it's not the tropes. It's not scrapbooking. It's not all yeah. the things. These things are gone now. It's get this movie out. Get the feel, get the idea, get the, the hook of a thriller in there. The poster. Yeah, right. the poster and get it out. It's the same with Raising Cane. It's the same with this. I think Sliver's maybe going to be the same way. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's maybe a, right. The proper way to look at it is like latter day sequels where it's like the formula has been set. And it's exhausted. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not even yeah. the excitement of a formula being put together or... Or they're just not even interested in doing it well because 
it doesn't matter if you have the the like premise that you can convey to people in marketing that's all you need to get them in the theater well and just that yeah. title right consenting yes. adults yes is uh probably they're like you know what that's just really gonna be the thing. <laughs> it's like people know what that means and yeah it sounds sexy and uh that's what movies are being made. I mean, if we look at 1992, that was like prime basic instinct body of evidence. Yeah. Ero- the lover. Like, yeah. yeah. So, and this um, is not erotic. It is. Yeah. That's I mean, the other thing. Was it trying to, I think it was at times. But yeah. The, the most erotic scene they tried to do was like the most staged when Kevin Klein comes up to the wife behind her in bed yeah. and he's like perfectly composed naked behind her perfectly covered body. Yeah. He's like, Ooh, it in every way in tautness and lack of preposterousness. This is so different from fatal attraction. Yeah. With fatal attraction. It's like holding you in a vice the whole time. And this is like, I could, I mean, particularly with the wife, once she, you realize she's with Spacey. I'm like, what the fuck? Do yeah. I care whether these two get back together or not? She's clearly so stupid <laughs> that she would fall for this idiot, Kevin, for for this clear con man. Yeah. I don't really care if these two idiots get back together or and not. And even if he's not a con man, this is what you like? Yes. This guy? <laughs> have, have a swig of your Ooh, water there so yes. we can try this next one out. This is the um, Never Sleep Again Negroni, which I just adore mm. a Negroni. This is a dark rum-based Negroni with expressed orange peel garnish. Strongly recommended. Store in the refrigerator. Uh, this has coconut, coffee, and cacao nibs. Ooh. Toasted coconut infused with. Good golly. Wow. So. Well, thank you so much for uh, that these were made and they've been poured. Yeah, this is number two. Cheers. Cheers, cheers, yes. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Mm, that's a Ooh, little sweet, that a sweet little Negroni. I like that. that. Tastes like my almond joys. Hey, uh, did you notice that Kevin Klein had on retainer a Southern lawyer played by E.G. Marshall? E.G. Marshall, I love The e. first scene wasn't very Southern, but the next yeah, scene he had he, with him, he was, was like, that? oh, like, hey, uh, boy, uh, my, uh. <laughs> I love E.G. Marshall. He is really good, huh? I, yeah. Um, I like him in Creep Show. Yeah. As like the Howard Hughes Roach guy. Christmas Vacation. Is, yeah. He's so good in that. Those are just each parent in that movie is perfectly perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. The Clark's two parents are so sweet. Uh-huh. Ellen's are so brash, but they've all got moments. Yeah. The, uh, um, just thinking about the first, uh, vacation movie now and, uh, back to school. They're both like written and produced by Harold Ramis. And a thing that the credits both do that from my lips to somebody's ears, I would love to see, you know, the vacation credits are old postcards yeah. and vacation photos. And it's kind of this funny thing of like, well, that's not the time period we're in now. Things are, you just, it's like, it's perfect. Yeah. You watch that and you're just like, I know what summer vacations are. I've been on them and they're funny and weird. Back to school, it starts with all these great black and white photos of 
1930s college. Oh, right. And it's like, oh, it's funny. You were going to know, like, but um, to start a comedy with old. Like, cheers. Photo- yes. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. I, it, it's clearly that was a trope at the time that has now yeah. passed. But if somebody brought that back, I would, if I sat in a theater and the movie opened with old, whatever the subject matter is, old pictures of that shit. I know. I'd the thing it. I loved about cheers is I was always trying to go like, I guess that's Norm. Yeah, that's yeah. Coach, I yeah, guess, that's at coach. the end there. Yeah. And that big guy's Norm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, what? Uh, do you drink Negronis? I uh, do. I've been drinking a lot of Negronis lately. Not a lot, but l- lately yeah. my cocktails have often been Negronis. And What's I've your been, favorite drink to make? Well, for the longest time it was gin and tonics, which mm-hmm. I still love. But then I switched to bourbon... Bundaberg ginger beer and lime, mm. but I might that was like quarantine and post baby, and I might have overloaded on that. Mm. So I have been having Negronis lately, and specifically different types of Negronis, like a Negroni Spagliato, which I think was recently popularized by the Game of Thrones girls were talking about it. But it, ah. it's Italian for wrong Negroni, and instead <laughs> of gin, you put in prosecco ah. because Negronis are so strong; it's all alcohol, yeah. vermouth. Campari and gin, but if you take the gin out and put in prosecco, it's a little easier. Yeah. Well, you're. I mean, this whole episode will be stories about what a lightweight I am. Oh, that, I like, am too, friend. Like I when really I went am. to the uh, my first martini was when I went and saw uh, the last uh, when I went and saw Spectre, not the oh, most most recent, yeah, the second one. Yeah. And uh, at the <sighs> ArcLight, they were making martinis. Martinis like, will put you down. Holy cow! I drank it. I was like, I'm like James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> 20 minutes in the movie, I was like, oh, oh. I got up and I went out in the concession stand and bought a hot dog and just ate a hot dog to like sop it up. That's in a my good stomach. idea. Yeah. Uh, especially a Vesper martini because that's vodka, gin, and vermouth. Wow. Or, well, it's like supposed to be Lillet, but that true Lillet doesn't exist anymore. So it's usually like a Coke Americano or something. And so it's just all alcoholic and Negroni. It's- uh, I guess that's uh, why Bond is such a tough guy. Yeah. He his, can yeah. hold that. And then he can go out and shoot guns. Yeah. Or uh, like Kevin Spacey, a semi-automatic weapon. Oh God. Uh, Uzi. I I wrote down Uzi question mark because I don't it's fully mi- know, but is it, it an It's Uzi? a mini Uzi. Not to be confused with a Mac 11, <laughs> which was all... So... Early on in this movie, I turned to a man and I said, "Jail, murder. Where's where do you think this is ending?" And she's like, "Both." But what I did not expect was Uzi. That it would end with like a moment where somebody's getting like pulled down as they're firing Uzi and it's shooting like huge bullet holes in the ceiling. I know ceiling, the ceiling the squibs are pretty good. But there are two <laughs> moments in this movie that were bookends that I would have never expected. And that is, yes, ending this movie with an Uzi. And I think that was even something in the notes that Kevin Klein was, was like. Kevin Klein was like, what? He what, what, it's, like, it's like a drug lord has an Uzi. And it does make you feel like Pakula was kind of like, nah, this is cool. Let's do this. Yeah. No, he'd have like a little automatic or, yeah. you know, like a nine millimeter or a revolver or something. Or make it a true thriller. He goes and pulls a kitchen knife. Yeah. From the even kitchen, better. You know, yeah. like anytime guns show up, it's a little. I know. But the way this movie starts with maybe the best Texas switch I've ever seen in a movie. Wait, in the middle of the movie? In the beginning of this movie. Oh, 
there is another Texas switch later that is flat out capital P. Okay, let's take so let's turns hear yours. T- so unfortunately, there's a cut in the middle of this Texas switch, but it, uh, still, it's a Texas switch. And a Texas switch for people know yeah. is like when the stunt man falls off from the second floor behind a rock. The real actor is hiding behind the rock, so he pops up yes. and it looks like he did the fall. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So the movie opens with Kevin Spacey driving his motorcycle out of the moving truck into the garage, but kind of looking away from camera. And then he comes right out waving. Hey, it's so too quick, stupid. right? It's too fast. That I LOL'd at that moment because it's so clear they're trying to make him seem cool. Yes. But I was laughing because like, there is nothing less cool then walking into a semi-trailer, sitting on a motorcycle, <laughs> starting it, driving it 15 feet down a slope into a garage, then getting off it and turning it off. I'm like, it's way more badass if you just went up and rolled, like grabbed it, kind of rolled it down the trailer and then put it. You'd be like, God, that guy's tough. This little dory king. Why didn't he just drive up to the house in it? Why, why does he got to come out of the truck? It's crazy. So they could do that uh, uh, Texas switch, I guess. Yeah, like, yeah, I guess. So what What other Texas switch oh, was man. there? I can't believe I didn't catch it. So when Kevin Klein is in the... Um, I love it when he gets out of prison for some reason. They let... Yeah, he gets... He makes bail. Makes bail and can freely just like walk around wherever he pleases. That's because I did my work here. Yeah, like he's yeah, got... Yeah. What a great lawyer, this guy. I mean, he did advise him well. He kept saying, you know, plead guilty. <laughs> but when he's... Uh, when Kevin Klein's in that um, hotel or shitty apartment... Yeah. And I love that that's the ultimate yuppie nightmare. Yeah. I lost my nice house and I, I have know. to be in a shitty apartment with a space heater and domestic beer. Yeah. Like and the, a like- place for a Murphy bed that's no longer there. <laughs> so remember that weird part when he's listening to the song, which yeah. is so stupid oh, as God. if voices don't all sound the same, that they're like, that that's proof. And also- that that's proof that it existed at a certain time. That he's How playing he this also- tape and expecting people to go like, oh, you're right, it is her voice at that time period it was recorded when How it's in question. How did he get a tape of it, too? How did he get a tape of it? I know. God damn it. So when he's sitting, <laughs> when he's laying there and he's hearing the song, and then it's like, doo-dee-doo-doo. Oh, I know I have to go to the blues bar now and get to the bottom of this and then they have the fake out where he's walking so between him leaving that hotel and getting to that blues bar and mistaking her for Kay the Texas switch if you go back and watch it it's a car speeding down the street and it parks to the left it goes off frame and just parks I was like that's weird you don't see that often in movies where a car just breezes oh, by, parks he's not off driving. camera, and it's like less than a millisecond. It's like <laughs> car goes off, and he's immediately running across the frame. It's like, oh, wow, you parked that, got out of the car pretty quickly. Uh, it's absurd. It's like Bugs Bunny level. Who knew consenting uh, adults was going to be like the just crazy Texas switch movie? <laughs> yes, that they would be uh, uh, really be like, hey. Let's bring on the Texas switches for consenting adult. They should have called it Switching Texases. <laughs> we messed up the title. Um, <laughs> I mean, 
there there are things and moments that I liked about the movie. Yeah. Um that when we reach I'll I'll say, "Hey, I like that." So it's not a total uh Yeah. Crap, I mean, I think we can fest. get into it. We crap seem to fest. have covered our our general thoughts. Um Yeah, ooh. Oh, you know what? I said that license to drink was the guy was named Eric and it's Eddie. Oh, Eddie. Sometimes I need to drink to have clarity. <laughs> the uh um they both start with E. That's true. Like email. Um well, let's just take a sip yeah. of this final one and it's called the blue sweater. Pamela Voorhees' blue sweater. A clarified cocktail inspired by a protective mother's love. <laughs> Um, it's beautifully blue. It's well, inspired by the blue Hawaii cocktail. <laughs> the following ingredients went through a milk clarification process in which their more astringent properties were removed, just as one might remove negligent counselors from a summer camp. <laughs> coconut. <laughs> well written. I know. Coconut infused <laughs> gin. Phalernum. Falernum. I don't know what that is. Blue curacao, pineapple juice, and lemon juice. Flirn them if you got them. <laughs> uh, and, and boy, uh, do I got them so bad I can't sit down sometimes. But we, uh, uh, thank you. When you were talking about the, uh, um, uh, the mother's love, it just made me think of, you know, we've talked before about even previously in this episode how Friday the 13th is like a more wholesome version of Psycho yeah. because it's a mom who loves her son so mm. much that. She kills people to help him as opposed to oh, a person who was tortured by his mom or right. messed up by his mom killing people. Um, but I, uh, my mode of scary movies that I watching, and I think it was very inspired by our yuppie nightmares, was my mode of, uh, I'd say, three weeks in October was all... Um, Hitchcockian thrillers. Oh, yeah. So I went and saw Dressed to Kill at the New Beverly. Oh, wow. And then I came home and I watched Psycho 2. And then I was like, um, Richard Franklin, who did Psycho 2 and Cloak and Dagger, uh, he made a movie called Road Games. That's like a rear window at, uh, with plus duel uh -huh. kind of movie. And I watched that. Uh -huh. And then um, I was like, heck, I'll watch the original Psycho. Matt. And last week and a half, I watched the first Psycho twice now. I got bit by the Psycho bug in the I last week. I could see that. And it was, last night I just put on like a scene to like relax to. <laughs> Which just, scene? When she first gets to the motel and he's like, do you want to sit in the parlor and just eat sandwiches just and talk? They eat those plain sandwiches. Those plain sandwiches. And then yeah. it, uh, and uh, it's just... Um, it was brought out by the yuppie nightmares of like, I'm really enjoying watching thrillers made for adults. Yeah. Um, me too. And I told you this, I think last week when recorded, but the sort of bow to all of this was a couple of weeks ago, I was out uh, walking and I walked by David Fincher. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I know. And I've never had a David Fincher. Uh, well, I had one brief sighting once in Los Angeles. I saw him, but uh, it was uh, I was like, hey, uh, it was my uh, 
Neo Hitchcock. But tell, tell <laughs> the listener what the transpired. Oh, I was with my daughter and my dog. We were out for a walk and uh, we crossed paths and I said hello. And uh, uh, he smiled and said hello. And I was like, oh, it was such a sweet moment from the director of Seven. But he he looked at your daughter and your dog and kind of not like like wow that's living right like it was kind of <laughs> it was like a sweet kind of yeah 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 yeah, yeah. It's, you know, but it's funny in retrospect I realized because Mary was riding on my shoulders and I was uh, holding our dog on a leash that the setup of me not through David Venture's eyes I just mean later I was thinking yeah. about it that I looked like um uh like a puppeteer for labyrinth that's right yeah <laughs> like if you that's put like hilarious. a cloth over me it would be like oh that creature with the long snout and the <laughs> tall body and stuff um but yeah i uh so that's to say even with consenting adults not being too great to put it on last night was actually really i, I know it. same and i had a super busy day and to just kind of crash on the couch with Amanda after we put glenn down and put it mm-hmm. on and I we didn't get to watch a ton of horror movies this year, but we did watch. I mentioned Barbarian and really liked that. Yeah. We also I'd never seen Wreck, and I watched Wreck. Ooh, REC. Yes, the best, isn't it? So good. It is, but did you watch it with English dubs? Because that's all you can get. I couldn't get the subtitle. Oh, version. I saw. Yeah, I saw a subtitled one, but and I remember. So, I think the one I saw was like region, like a. Somebody had to get a specific player. Yeah, I looked everywhere. I tried every service and like I think I even rented it a couple different places. Mm-hmm. And everywhere it's just the English dub. So that mm. that was rough. In this type yeah. of movie, you don't want that kind of like taking you out. Uh-huh. But I still I really liked it. Yeah. I the thing I remember just thinking it was like really inventive for like a found footage movie that was like always every 10 minutes trying to do a new idea yeah. or something. Um, uh, but um, yeah, the, uh, uh, the, um, also reminded me of the, uh, uh, let's see. Uh, ooh, yum. When I was saying the, um, a new idea every 10 minutes, uh, just real quick. I went on the rise of the resistance, right? Did I, you go on that? Yeah, I went on it twice. Um, it's the first ride to blow my mind since I was like age nine. Uh-huh. And the thought I kept having was when I was on, it was like, it's not one trick. It's just new oh, yeah. tricks yeah. each time. Like yeah. the fact that a ride hasn't, with the exception of maybe like Splash Mountain, hasn't ever really done the like, you could do two tricks. You could uh-huh. do more than one trick. Right. That's like what made me really excited. This is going to sound silly, but have you been on the Transformers ride at Universal Studios? I did go on that. I remember being really impressed with that. Yeah, because that was my first time experiencing the surround. And the multimedia. Yeah. Of it all. yeah, yeah. No, and, and the subject matter isn't quite great. But yeah. I know when you walk into that room of all the stormtroopers, even though that's not you're not on the ride per se, yeah. that was my favorite part. <laughs> also, I, I've mentioned this before, I think, but just that you get ushered off that pre-line ship by someone dressed as an Imperial commander, but they're still a Disney employee and they've got a Disney name tag on that says like, you know, you Brian or whatever. And they you come know, in and they're like, get out of here. That was the one thing I didn't like about 
that. I mean, I know it's fun. It's like Ed DeBevix or something where you're like, yeah. oh, the wait staff is rude. But like for me, I was like, that's more of a Universal Studios thing. The like, let's rib the the guests. Yeah, I completely agree. I did like I was kind of like, this isn't Disney tone no, right now. I want to make a huge generalization. Please. But I've just finished the eighth episode of this podcast we're working on about Disney employees and was one myself for yes. over a decade. I think Generally, there's a large contingent of Disney employees who perhaps have, who are more in the beta category or have been bullied. And when you set them up as Imperial commanders, a light goes off in their eye of like, I get to bully. Uh And there's just something uh a little too real about it that, not that they're scary or they're going to bully me, but there's just something of like, you're enjoying this. It's making me uncomfortable. The, at least the people that ushered me off were just kind of like relishing it too much. No, it felt like um, um, uh, a fascist yes. workshop. Yeah, that's like what, or that's a fantasy what weekend essentially is. And I will say, when people in a particular type of uniform are saying like "line up" and stuff, I was just like, "This is no." I agree. It, it, it I, was a weird tone to start the I ride. I, I love the ride. I love my whole experience. No, I but agree. It was just I, that part was strange. To me. And I used to do the blasphemous thing of make making a Nazi analogy when I worked there. But it's it's a apt analogy. Not that Disney's Nazis. I'm not. Saying I wasn't that. saying that. You said that, man. I'm saying this about this. That yeah. <laughs> in D Day, the Germans held the beach. And the the you know the allies came aboard and they were just scuttled and and scrambled and because the non commissioned officers all improvised and were able to gather their men and make new plans and head up the hill while the Germans with all the strength and reinforcements were waiting for Hitler to wake up to get a command as to what to do. Wow. That's basically how the allies mm-hmm. won the day. Disney operates like that. I remember going to the managers multiple times going, hey, can we do this? Can we do that? Uh, well, uh, and you just see fear go over their faces and they had to run it up the chain of command. There wasn't ever a manager with the occasion of one or two really cool managers who'd just go, yeah, sure. You know, let's try that. Yeah. Nobody had any authority. They were all, it was all a culture of fear. You know, I, uh, uh, that's interesting. I mean, the, the sort of the German army mentality of, of that too. Cause I've, you know, I'm, remarked before but i'm like german and catholic and midwestern there are so many systems in place to get you to behave a certain way and there is satisfaction in being like yeah you know what uh being entirely regimented actually bites you in the butt yeah having a system that you can't uh that can't bend Yes. To a solution that comes uh, to to a problem that comes along is right. is bound for failure. And I'm not a rebellious person. I believe in this uh, like an efficient system. But when I worked at Disney, I couldn't handle it. I I would buck the system without even knowing I was doing it for the sake of doing it. Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't helpful to them. I just couldn't take that kind of. It's cultish. There, it really is. I'm sorry. I've just on well, the heels of finishing a, this no, like, no, no, really I, intensive. Hey, Hollywood podcast. Pictures is owned by you know Buena yeah. Vista, so this is all. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
how many episodes is that going to be? It's eight episodes. We just finished the first Exciting. draft of the last episode. They're highly, highly produced. And, you know, it's an eight. It's like a docu-series, kind of tongue-in-cheek, like a Watergate expose about working at or the the behind the scenes or stories about theme parks. Mm-hmm. And so it is like crazy how much work it, it's been very yeah. um, fulfilling, but it was supposed to be done before Glenn was born. That's how long the wow. deal took. And yeah. so now it's finally in, we'll have to do revisions and stuff. And I think look for it on Audible and Amazon early next year, I think, but it came yeah. together nice. I mean, there's some amazing stories people tell on there. I don't want to oh, blow them, but they are. There's some real corkers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, from my perspective, I will say that, you know, I'm sure there are those like just bureaucracy and stuff. But the experience I have as a guest when I'm there is um, not just, oh, what a wonderful place. It's like really at every corner I'm being presented by like creativity and ingenuity. Yeah, And so that's like, that is the thing that uh, fills my bucket about yeah. the human spirit. I'm just like, wow, people are really creative. And then also, when I go to a theme park and I just see somebody with like a Jason shirt, <laughs> too, that just like makes me happy. I know. I'm like, oh, people who like Disney also like the things I like too. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, I, in 2004, so I went to Disneyland and I saw a guy with a shirt that said like, yeah, I'll motherfucking eat shit twice a day, fuck face, or something like that. It was so filthy. I was like, and it was the first time I ever had the like neocon uh uh religious right reaction. It, it put me in the frame of mind of like this is what Tipper Gore felt yeah. like when she heard her daughters listening to Prince. I was like, that does not belong here. This <laughs> place is right, sacred. Though. You're right. Now I'm not but saying like, it should be censored, but, but, but it made me realize like some people see the whole country I as know. Disneyland. <laughs> and, and I don't even mean it shouldn't be there because it's profanity. It's because the spirit of the person wearing that shirt is going like, I'm I'm fucking going to the Holy Land and going to put my fucking yeah. fingers up because I'm a, I'm a rabble rouser. Yeah, like, it's yeah, just, yeah, yeah. God, just shut up. Uh, <laughs> a kid uh, showed up at our high school basketball game once wanting to wear Jane's Addiction Ritual de la Habitual oh, cover. Oh, yeah, yeah. Security guards made him flip that shirt inside out. I had a Corona t-shirt flipped inside out in junior high. I was wearing a Corona t-shirt and I also had a Marlboro t-shirt. That I used to have to flip. Maddie. I know. I don't, when did you f- smoke uh, your first cig? Just uh, Oh, in college for, for a play? <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. You never tried to smoke behind the school? No. And I didn't even have marijuana until I was 28. Uh, yeah, I didn't have marijuana until I was 27. Yeah. And, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, but the cigarette, mm, I tried my freshman year of high school and I threw up chili in front of my friends. (laughs) (laughs) And you didn't even eat chili. (laughs) This cigarette's been laced with chili. (laughs) That's right, kids. There's the word on the street is there's chili laced cigarettes going round with the kids. Be careful. You're going to want to jump off a building or fry your baby in a pan. Now, uh, on the mailbag, I said I have a tidbit about uh, uh, you You had shared Empire Strikes Back. And I was like, yeah, this isn't Star Wars talk. We'll get off. Of it. But it was uh, um, 
I was reading the trivia section for Devil's Own, mm-hmm. directed by Alan Pakula. That's right. Was that his last movie? Yes. Yeah. And in the trivia section, it said, what's that? I watched that not too long ago. Oh, really? How was yeah. it? Yeah. yeah. It was like, the trivia section was like, Harrison Ford and Treat Williams had previously appeared in the Empire Strikes Back. It's like, Treat Williams? I went, I Googled it. He's an extra soldier for the rebels on- On Hoth? On Hoth. Which is weird because that was like mostly Norwegian army. But he was a famous actor too in America. Oh, was he, he just- He was semi-famous. He was like- Was he just visiting like, did he pull like a Daniel Craig yeah, in Star Wars? I think so. It was like, hey, I'm on set. This would be fun. Can I just do this? And, oh, wow. But there's pictures of him in uh, Hoth- Clothes with his arm around Princess Leia. I never just knew the fact that. that you can learn new things about. I know. I Star Wars mean, is pretty every, crazy. everybody pretty much knows the John Ratzenberger yes. of the Hoth of Echo Base. But well, and Trent Ratzenberger Williams? was the smartest guy in the world. If you're an American actor, go into the yeah the UK, just become a Pinewood when they need a guy who looks like. <laughs> Tell it to Shane but, Rimmer. I mean, he's Canadian, but he's in everything, and he's yeah. Um, the uh uh. uh the other thing I wanted to share, um, in fifth grade, my teacher, um, I won't say her name, uh, she was a great teacher, but- Candyman? Is it Candyman? Uh, <laughs> Candyman, Candyman, Candyman. Candyman, She, um, one day was like, uh, when you're a kid and you love movies, you just look forward to any time a grown-up talks about movies. Is this the Children of the Corn Lady? No. Okay. This was, uh, she was on the other side of the wall <laughs> for the children of the corn, oh the guy who was married to the children of corn woman. <sighs> she, one day, and this is why I remember this, because I'm just so excited, teachers spending time in class talking about a movie. She was like, my husband and I read Consenting Adults last night. <sighs> I'm like, okay, let's see where this goes. And she's like, now... The person who rented it to us warned us it was going to be slow. That's the warning. <laughs> and she was like, and it was. It was slow, but it takes its time. And by the time that it starts really cooking, it really starts going. And I was like, oh, cool. Mrs. Patera. Oh. Why can you not say her name? Okay, I will because I just don't want her to be like she was telling kids. She's awesome. Anyway. She's probably, is she retired, do you think? She's retired and yeah. she's a wonderful woman. I don't think that's uh, a big, I don't think it's wrong to tell kids that you like consenting adults. No, she's not saying go she, out and rent go it. Go out and rent it. Um, but it was so funny because that review like sticks in my mind. Like I read it in the New York Times or something. Oh, so right. when I, in wow. my early 30s, mid-30s, and I finally watched consenting adults, I'm thinking... Quite the opposite. Yeah. It's moving too fast. This half hour is just like booking it. What were they talking about? <laughs> and she was also, um, what I found a little curious about it was when Bram Stoker's Dracula came out, she told the class, like, you shouldn't, if people are seeing this, you shouldn't because it's sort of like evil. The, like, like, like it's, how if you listen to heavy metal, in the yeah, 80s? it's like devilly and kind of satany, and so in retrospect, I'm just kind of like, oh, well, consenting adults is pretty. Whose neighbor were you getting it on with that this didn't no, seem? No. Uh, just kidding. 
<laughs> just kidding. That's not Paul saying that. No, That's no, me. no. Uh, truly was uh, one of my favorite teachers and inspired creativity me and creativity in a real way so i do appreciate it. and uh and that's why it meant so much for me to hear her talking about it. but um yeah the uh 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 i mean we haven't talked about probably the main thing somebody would talk about when they saw consenting adults is the big wtf thing that it hinges on the 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 body swap yeah yeah um which is what i was thinking later of like is that the like oh it's slow, but once you realize where it's going, it's like, is it the scene in the bar when Kevin Spacey throws out the idea of kind of uh, swapping wives? I guess, man. I don't know. I There's just no one to like in this movie. I think Mary Elizabeth Master, Antonio, but then when you, like you said, when she goes to Kevin Spacey's side, well, and then they do this really big disservice to her where they're trying to like set it up so that she's like the dowdy, desexed housewife. And you're like, she's stunning. Yeah, she's stunning. <laughs> it's so weird that you're like yeah. making her stand in a corner with a payphone looking like shit while the two boys talk about like wife's wife. It was just like, it's not that they, they're unlikable, the two women. They're just kind of cipher characters. There's nothing going on with these characters. Well, and they could double down on that. Like, I did think the movie was interesting that, like, the first double date that they have is, like, planned without the wives' agreement. I was like, oh, oh right. it's setting this idea up of, like, boys say the way things are going to be had, and then it's just a matter of, like... So it's like, oh, this is the first indication of where this is going to go. And... uh even I was like, oh, this movie seems to be less about even the heterosexual relationships of the husbands and the, their wives and more about how men relate to each other in a way that's like competitive, either financially yeah. or sexually. Have you ever had a, a quote friend like this? I've had a couple male friends. Friend, I call them friendships in quotes because ultimately they're not. They're very toxic. And it was nothing like sinister like Kevin Spacey, mm -hmm. although one of them truly did border on that, mm. like tapping into my computer, my phone, and that kind of thing. But mm -hmm. kind of single white female -y kind of like, mm -hmm. hey, man, loosen up. But really, they're the ones that are kind of, uh, they're manipulative. Mm -hmm. and, and I've had a couple of those. And I don't know what it is about my personality until... Not too long ago, another one happened and I just went, no, and I'm done with it. Yeah. Like I can spot it a mile away. And I will admit in a couple of those cases, it was like a bit of a friendship of convenience where I knew usually there was like a work related issue where I kind of had to keep things mm -hmm. positive. I couldn't say what I was feeling, mm -hmm. but even now I wouldn't do that for work. I would just like, I can't, I do not have time for that kind of weird, manipulative, toxic Oh, I know. I, I was in a situation where I was overhearing, um, I was in an office and I was hearing two coworkers talk. And I was like, one of the coworkers was so annoying. And I thought to myself, wow, I don't really ever have to be around people I don't want to be around. No, isn't it the greatest realization? <laughs> and, like, and they I've can been actually be nice people. I'm working too. with somebody who I hate. And I'm like, God, this, I have no choice in this matter. Yeah. I have to like, 
suck it up and befriend this person or ignore them or just do the best I can to get through this. But the, the other thing you can realize is that even if certain people are nice, they can you be don't, annoyed. <laughs> you don't have to be like, they might not just, it just might not be a mix in you. Yeah. You know, I also, you also get to a point in your life where I, I hope I'm making, I will make new friends. I actually think you're the last friend I've made yeah. because the older you get, the more just kind of stick with your friends. It's not like a, good thing necessarily but well you've have you heard this term of the thing that happens i think um in your 30s but i think also when people get married and have kids which is a social pruning Mm, yes which is you you eventually have to start figuring out ways to make time work and you're like well can't make any more friends and in fact maybe i have to see some friends less so I can see some friends more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, the, for me, um, the thing that it's most, and it was maybe when the movie was like most interesting to me was when Kevin Spacey was trying to stave off or when Kevin Klein was trying to stave off Kevin Spacey. Yeah. It's funny that they're both guys named Kevin who are theatrically trained actors can be very hammy. Yeah. And probably two actors I wouldn't want to work with. <laughs> like, wouldn't want to be a director for. I seem like pains of the ass. Do you think Kevin Klein is? Yeah. Really? I don't know much about him other than... I, I remember really an interview with him, and it was about that movie Last Holiday, or, or what was uh, the movie where it was like... Last The Vegas. Bucket List times four, where it's like... Last, Last Vegas. Vegas. Oh, is he in that? Yeah. Oh. And I remember Morgan Freeman and him were talking about like... It's so funny that it, in relation to this thing about you'll love Alan Pakula, he he actually directs you. Because I remember him saying like, right now, I don't need any director telling me anything else than slower or more intense. You just have to tell me faster, slower, softer, or more intense. Other direction, I don't need. And I was like, that is not an actor you'd be excited to work with. The whole thing. One of it is let's discover things together. Yeah. I, I think, in my experience, I guess the movie was either working last with actors Vegas, or being so. an actor. That's been the fun. What? I guess the movie was Last Vegas. Though. Well, and I did think, like, oh, uh, that's. Well, you're doing Last Vegas, dude. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> maybe that's why you're upset that somebody's giving you direction that's yeah deeper than faster, you know? Yeah. Um, but, uh, like just, you know, when they go jogging together, and I'm like, uh, 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 Kevin Klein jogs in like the big chill. I'm like, this seems like Kevin Klein's just like, can you put me in some jogging shorts? Yeah. And then, uh, when Kevin Spacey is singing acapella Christmas tunes, I'm like, was this the trade off? <laughs> Kevin Klein, you get your jogging scene. Kevin Spacey, you get your acapella group scene. Uh, there is a story unfolding in that when Kevin Klein comes down and Kevin Spacey walks over to him and he's got his caroling book. And none of this is said, but it it is just like the whole uh, like undertone of this scene. And oh, like, I love that part. Is, it was so perverse how he goes over and he like touches. Yes. Kevin. But then he hands him the book yeah. and it's like his inner monologue is, don't worry, I got it memorized. <laughs> and it's just 12 days of Christmas. <laughs> I memorized all 12 items. Yeah. <laughs> I've even got a 13th if you want it. <laughs> the thing I was going to say about them both being named Kevin or whatever, the, the, the thing that I... 
thought was like really interesting, maybe my favorite part. And the thing to answer your question of like, have I ever had the experience before of a friend? Like when that section, when he throws out the idea, not specifically swinging or anything like that. Um, the, uh, when he's like, throws out the idea and Kevin Klein goes, um, no, not interested. And then Kevin Spacey brings it up again. And then he brings it up a third time. And finally, Kevin Klein has to be like, no, stop bringing this up. I thought this is the a thriller about being with a nudge. Yeah. Like, that's what it reminded me of. Yeah. These, these specifically two people I've known. That have been like this to me. And the nudgy part most felt like when he said, what you're asking for, dude, is a little inappropriate. And then he went, you are so judgmental. I know. I was like, the, oh, that is the nudge. The manipulative putting it back on them. And, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, but the... Uh, uh, yeah, it did... I, I thought it was going to be kind of like, you know, we talk these movies oh what's the sore spot that they're kind of poking at yeah that is the difficult conversation for a couple to have and so when they go see this movie at first i thought it was going to be about like yeah coveting your neighbor's wife or possessions the thing people don't want to talk about when it's like oh you're friends with somebody but you're envious of them that's Turns a out thing the sore spot was what? just stark red interior decor well it got so just extreme it was like <laughs> You know, what we talked about with Fatal Attraction, it's like, to commit an affair and for the person to possibly be pregnant is so enough drama. Yeah. And this, it was just like, you could just keep it small that nobody ever dies. Yeah, I It's know. just, our reputations could get ruined if people knew that I did this thing to your wife and you can't make it clear that this was an agreement. We, it was just like, I did a dumb thing. Also that the movie puts you in this position where you have to go to defend your protagonist. He didn't murder her. He just sexually assaulted her. He it's raped such, her. He raped her. And the murderer, he's not a rapist. Right. And I remember, you know, there's a lot of movies that have questionable material from the past and you can, you know, make the flawed argument if if you want. There are people out there that could be like, it was a different time. This isn't even a different time. I was alive at this time. Like, it was well known you can't go sleep with a sleeping woman. Well, you, and, you, and because they're so scared of, you know, it's the early 90s. We don't really want to have two unlikable characters. Two T-O-O. Yeah. Like, um... They end up screwing, shooting themselves in the foot. Like, if you actually focused on Kevin, uh, that the main couples, like, they have no scenes, really, where you kind of go like, oh, what's their thing? And what are they missing? And what did they have? And they lost, and they're trying to make up for it yeah. with these new exciting neighbors. Then you could be off to the races, and you're just like, people would emotionally be with them. If you're not... If you're just kind of like these are weird insects doing things, then like, what about you're the kind of idea off the hook the whole time of Kevin Spacey manipulates this whole thing and tells him, "My wife really wants you. Go in and seduce her when she's asleep. She knows about it. 
you guys obviously have a bond. Well, that I've was, talked to her. It, it can only be a bad thing that he's doing. It's not even like, oh, this came about because I did something semi-wrong, but I told myself it was right. It's just like, you should know. There's no ways, no two ways of the time period it being what the world is. That's, that's, that's just a, a weird, wrong that's thing I mean. to do. Like when the audience, I, when we watch this now and it's obviously ridiculous, I would have to think at the time they were were like, what the fuck is he doing? Like, why is our hero doing this? It's one thing that he's cheating on his wife. That you see, it's Michael Douglas. Like, that's a trope of these movies, and that's the sin you pay for. Oh, but and there the mea culpa. This is. I thought like, the three levels of this. I was like, a, I would never cheat. B, I would never cheat with a, a friend of me and my wife's. Yeah. Third step, I would never cheat with a friend of me and my wife's who lives next door. He's just such an uh, a dope. Yeah. I mean, that's like taking a dump on your front step as close as possible to that. Yeah. Like uh so it also, you know, like it is a baffling movie. It makes sense in Fatal Attraction. You're kind of like, he does think this could be a one night stand and he gets yeah. away with it. Yeah. There's she's giving every indication. But when your next door neighbor who you're gonna have to live with <laughs> That's uh, what this movie's such an anomaly because like earlier on you said there are so many elements of it that are well done. How did this get overlooked? How did how did a director, A, who's made these prior films, but B who has the wherewithal to work with his director of photography and even cast so well uh -huh. and the music and the look. Yeah. But the director of photography thing is an interesting comparison because it's like, it does look great. But I was thinking like, if you compared it to like Gordon Willis's um, cinematography and other Alan Pakula movies like yeah. Flute and All the President's Men, you know, those movies are famous because they're just, yeah. everybody's in shadow. And I did think like, that's a pretty good metaphor <laughs> for like, the lighting and the characterizations of 1974 versus 1992, yeah. which is like the, the scene when Kevin Spacey's in the bar, uh, pitching his most nefarious uh, plan. <laughs> that bar for a juke joint or whatever it is, is so well lit. Yeah. He's got, full-on theater major eye makeup yeah. like mascara like there's no way that this looks like it could exist in an actual no, bar with shadows their house because it's one thing that they've painted their walls red but they've hung yes there are drapes to nowhere they're they're not on walls they're not entirely connected to the ceiling yes. and they hit the floor it's baffling and i, uh, and, I wonder and, 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 if the characters also have no shadow or shading or the curtains go all the way up to the top and there doesn't make sense where they go. Like yeah. that's just, it's a full. Do you think Pakula, if he's saying, I want to try a thriller to him, a thriller is pulp and it's like, maybe he has a certain, if not disdain, a kind of like uh disrespect for it. Well, I mean, if you look at classic noirs, they are, so complicated the plots almost yeah. never really unfold in a friendly manner yeah 
although it's different, they're just complicated as opposed to this, which is like threadbare. Uh, I wonder if he just thinks my job is to not, is to just have pulpy knee jerk plot elements and stuff. But that just seems. Well, he did two years before Presumed Innocent, right? Yeah, right. Right. And that holds up. And I've never seen it. Oh, you haven't? No. Oh, why didn't we do that? Well, I was going to throw it to you. I love that movie. Uh, A possible run in the future could be um, Harrison Ford thrillers. Okay. A few that. uh, Okay, let's talk. So we got Frantic, Frantic. Presumed Innocent, Patriot Games. Patriot Games. Uh, uh, Firewall. Firewall, Hollywood homicide. No. Uh, What Lies Beneath. Yes, that was a, a perk of it. I was like, ooh, we get to talk what lies beneath this. This is great. Um, uh, 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 Any others? Well, you know, they're more action. Well, Air I'm, Force One and Fugitive and stuff. I'm they, still, I'm listening. It's just the adult thriller aspect. I feel like in the 80s and 90s, Harrison Ford was like, outside of Michael Douglas, was maybe the face of like, Hey, we're grown-ups. We're going yes. on a date. We're going to go see a good thriller tonight. Right. So that's a, yeah. There's probably a couple we're forgetting some B-level ones, especially in the late 2000s, because I know you said Firewall. Yeah. I feel like there's a couple more like that. Yeah. Uh, regarding Henry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Devil's Own. Devil's Own. Yeah. yeah. Oh, uh, maybe that would suck. Yeah. What the the idea of a franchise of a Harrison Ford? No, franchise. it would not suck. Okay. It would be brilliant. Uh, <laughs> By the way, we got a lot of comments about our Tom Clancy joke that we were going to do a season of Tom Clancy. Yeah, I don't think we were serious, but some people really were concerned that we were going to do. Or <laughs> delighted, very excited. <laughs> um, oh, um, we haven't really got to clown on Spacey yet. Let's let's take a pee break and okay, then clown on him. Clown on Spacey, and I'll open up a pumpkin spider. With barley and rust. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. With Corley and Rust. Cheers. Cheers. Proper pumpkin spider. Proper pumpkin spider. Spider? Cider. Yeah, but pumpkin spice. Spider. <laughs> spider, yeah. Ooh, that was yummy. Yeah, that's uh, good. That's good. It's rich. Um, it's rich. It's good. So with Spacey, uh, I just wanted to say there's 
three choice things that I really uh, like <laughs> to make fun of them about. <laughs> Please. One, there is a... It, it's all cringe. Uh, what I'm about to tell you, the, the, the stuff you can watch him do. Um, there is a... Uh, he hosted an award show. You can watch it on YouTube. And it was like, tonight... It's gonna be a big night. Yes, tonight's gonna be a big night. Remember that song? Yeah. He's singing that, and it's about like how he's gonna. It's some weird European award show, and he's like the paid host of this. And he comes out, and he takes a basketball, he throws it, and totally misses it. <laughs> so that's cool. He's trying to seem cool, and he misses so that's a shot. Cool, yeah. I like that. Uh, Soon after 9-11, there was a John Lennon John Lennon tribute concert, and Kevin Spacey, I think, hosted it or something. But he also gets, even though he's not a singer, because he's like a two-time Oscar winner or a Tony winner. A to- yeah, yeah. Like they uh he can do anything he wants in 2001, right? right? So he decides, hey, I'm gonna sing a John Lennon song tonight, along with all these people who are proper musicians. And he goes, um, he gets to have this like horrible self-righteous moment where he's like, um, I think it's easy to say that uh, the situation the last couple of weeks have been extremely saddening, but I'm also extremely pissed off. And people are like, yeah, Kevin Spacey. Oh, no, I can and then he goes, so easily imagine this. Yes. And then he goes, this is the best part where he's like, but tonight we're taking it back or whatever. And then he jumps up and it goes, we're playing those mind games no! together. And there's just like the most Vegas lounge, shitty hotel version of mind games. Is this on YouTube? Yes. Both of these are on YouTube. So you can see that. The last thing I'll clown on him about uh, is... Um, <laughs> Those fucking Frank Underwood videos he made at his oh, house. I still have not seen those. These all exist online, and he's a cuckoo in them. Yeah. Um. Something I don't know if I ever told you. Once I got interviewed by MTV News, the entertainment thing or something, and this the Facebook movie had just gotten announced. Uh huh. Speaking of David Fincher and the person interviewing me went so there's this new Facebook movie uh, and they're having different people audition have you auditioned for that and I had so I answered the question honestly I was like oh yeah I did and if I had been smart or savvy I think I would have just gone oh no I didn't did you audition for the Zuckerberg part uh, some part in that because it wasn't uh, the character right. was like um, sides from a scene from Sports Night, oh, so it was just to see if you could do yeah. Sorkin dialogue, I think. right? And uh, Cocaine, I'm yeah. sure I sucked, <laughs> and, uh, uh, but um, so I'm asked that question, and I answer it. Two weeks later, I'm like watching on MTV.com or something like that. And the same interviewer says to Kevin Spacey, who's like promoting 21 or some movie, they're like, "Uh, Paul Rust says he's being considered for the new Facebook movie that you're producing because he was producing it. 
And he went, well, some people might think they're being considered, but they're not. And it was just one of those situations where everything was wrong. Everything was misunderstood or miscommunicated. I did it poorly. They miscommunicated. He misunderstood, but also said something shitty he didn't have to say. So I think he's a prick. Is that online? <laughs> that I remember seeing online, but I, if somebody could find it, Brett, you know, Brantley might because he's good at uh, researching. <gasps> what a prick. That's like my Robert Davi story. Yes. Like, it's just, why do you have to be such a prick? Yeah. Uh, I, I got pulled into this and I was just trying to do my best. Oh and my now, God. Uh, but when that happened, I did think like, now look, in the grand scheme of those things, the s- things that I cited of him being a bad person there are sure way worse things those are just like things i think you can make fun of somebody with without seeming crass the thing he did is monstrous but now he can't even get in the door to a paul russ production (laughs) he might think he's being considered to be a guest on with gorley and rust i mean i was thinking you know like i am aware that Forgiveness and acceptance are like components of a strong community where somebody can go, Yeah, I did something wrong, but I see a path to forgiveness. And, um, you know, so we're like five years out from Harvey Weinstein and me too. And the conversation started changing. And I've, there's a part of me that thinks like, there, there hasn't been a, a way we figured out about how to like work through forgiveness. And it seems like that is very important. Yeah. Uh, but, what I was thinking about, I was like, you know what the problem is? Nobody's ever given a proper apology, really. Like, so it's hard to like forgive somebody like Kevin Spacey. Oh, I know yeah. there's probably like four examples that people can give where they like they gave a really good apology. It was, but the other component of it is, is like if you don't apologize, you don't really get canceled. You you can still continue working. So there is no motive in giving the proper apology because it could legally make you uh, look like you did something when you don't want to admit that you did. And also you can I, tell with Kevin Spacey, he just probably doesn't think he did anything wrong. Well, like, I mean, I can't understand like, all that was, uh, I'm bringing it up because it was the most insane apology, which was he didn't really apologize. And then he came out as a way to try to like uh, yeah, cover up the things that he did. As disgusting. Like, yeah. Um, I'm not uh, saying to anybody. I don't think anybody's come along yet who should be forgiven. Is what I'm saying. It's just like uh... <laughs> I still, though, I'm dying to see his master class. Remember those master classes, and his was <laughs> oh, the yeah. acting one. Uh, how to turn to the camera and deliver into the lead <laughs> like a Frank Underwood. <laughs> Uh, if you just don't move your mouth much or make any real expression on your face and kind of let your eyelids drop, Ah, people will read into things that might or may be there. Well, 
If you listen, this is the third time mentioning David Fincher, but if you listen to his commentary for Chinatown, he makes a really good argument for that Jack Nicholson was the actor of his time. He best represented Hmm. what the late 60s and 70s was happening, which is some anti-authoritarian macho kind of masculine streak. Yeah. Uh, This is... Kevin Spacey's big first co-star role in a movie like oh, he's done Henry of June in 1990. But I'm willing to make that. I think Kevin Spacey was like the actor of the 90s. Whatever his vibe that he presented was like hand in glove with what the era wanted, which was like yeah. this fucking snarky, sarcastic, like... <laughs> Like, remember when he got his Oscar and he went out and accepted it for American Beauty? He was like, this is the highlight of my day. You, oh, I didn't remember You have to be one. 90s in your acceptance speech, too? It's just like, <laughs> uh, whatever, who cares? Oh, my Meanwhile, God. Meanwhile, we don't know. We're, like, staring down the barrel of, like, 9-11. I it was like, oh, this is so meaningless, all of this. And then look how he handled 9-11. Exactly. I'm pissed off. I mean, it's a sign of like how unmoored we were that Kevin Spacey now has to like be the face of like sincerity. Insane. <laughs> um, but uh, it's uh, funny. Uh, I didn't take that many notes for this movie, and it he wasn't... also has a boil on his face and see no evil, hear no evil. That he got lanced after. But if you watch that movie, he's the bad guy. He's got this huge, gross. The one with Gene Wilder. Yeah. He's the Kevin bad guy. Spacey's in, it. in that? And he's now he has a mark on his face from where the boil was, but Really? You can Google Kevin Space Boil if you want to. Man, I appreciate you did Brantley level research on Kevin Spacey. Uh hey, I think the guy's a shit. I needed some examples <laughs> of what a shit he was. I love it. That includes the worst people have boils on their faces. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know what? Also, uh, this seemed the, the sin of this movie seemed to be them taking the money from the insurance. Okay, was the, like, let me just just if they didn't do that, explain to me the logic of this. I understand what's happening. Well, but, this was the prime example of the joke not being set up right. No, I'm talking thing. just just logistically. Yeah, he. I get what happened. He's you know he throws himself in front of the yeah. car to milk money, but at some point. Kevin Klein would have heard from his insurance company going, we're going to have to pay them $30,000. And he would know that that was going to Kevin Spacey. You're right. And yes. he would have been like, w- w- what's going, why are you suing me? Why are you doing this? Why are we, or so sorry you're doing this and not be surprised when they got this $30,000 check. It's just you're a, right. Yeah. It's that is a, a weird. And then, uh, that it wouldn't, for me, that feels like a red, flag that that was the, for two intelligent yeah. if, if i want two characters that i want to like stand by their choices because i think they're like smart people oh you mean red flag as a viewer not just as in kevin klein's shoes yes I, yeah. you're right on both as a viewer counts. but also if i was yeah uh <laughs> that couple i would just be like oh this guy we can't trust this dude yeah um he had a boil on his face and see no evil here no evil. Uh, <laughs> um he oh to- you know what i said the things i i'll mention the things I do like. Um, you know, we talked about how like looks great and stuff. I loved when the big um the Texas switch of uh mates that happens yeah. when they go to each other's wives. Yeah. 
um, <laughs> bedrooms. <laughs> the Texas switch. Um, Sexist. Switch. When the camera is pushing. Sexist twitch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when the camera's like on a crane and it starts coming down to the house and you see through the window Kevin Klein like walking down the stairs yeah. and then it pushes down and finally by the time he's coming through the door the camera's there and then it follows him along. That for me was like, man, Hitchcock and De Palma never got into the suburbs. And I wish they yes. had. Like, oh, oh yeah. God, this You're is right. giving me the thing I realized I wanted. And and I did think like, oh, Raising this Kane. is where Halloween is kind of yeah. exists. Yeah. Halloween is Hitchcock in the suburbs. Is That's it why Raising I like Cain in the suburbs? That's true too, yeah. Yeah. Hold on. I'm just realizing that I don't think I understand this plot. He wants his wife's insurance policy for $1.5 million. Uh-huh. But he, who is this other woman that he put? Just some, they who said that, someone went missing. Yeah. So he kidnapped some woman, killed Which, her. That detail alone of being able to switch a body like that would be a whole movie of like, how is, what's the, yeah, whatever. That's worth like five C's. <laughs> so presumably he wanted to still be with his wife? Yes. When Forrest Whitaker, who shows up 45 minutes in the movie, shows up, he's like, Maybe it was he had a change of heart and he actually didn't want to kill his wife and that's why he did. We can never know exactly what? why. I know. But but then she's kind of hiding from But then has to be in hiding enough that if she's found out he would kill her, so I guess she's not But he kills her almost to like lay more evidence yeah. on him. So if she's that disposable, then why didn't you just Disposer from the beginning with the insert. Like, this truly is an incomprehensible or like ridiculous plot. And I think Pakula, did he rewrite the ending? He did, right? Yeah. He's a horrible writer and a brilliant filmmaker. <laughs> well, when the, uh, uh, when I read in Brantley's notes that he shot two different endings and the yeah. test audiences liked the happier ending and the studio was like, we think you should do the happier ending. And he did. I thought, uh, this is a jingle. <laughs> That's like what I thought. Yeah. Like this is his like what he's trying to do is like. Don't do worry you, about it. It's a jingle. What do you think the ba- the sadder or worse ending was? Like I can't. Uh, Kevin uh, Klein goes to the jail fact that a happy friend. ending is somehow satisfying when like the denouement of the two of them in a car listening to a radio news report about how he's been cleared. And then they they look at each other like, "Mm -hmm." and then they move to a house with no neighbors, but nothing. It just lives on the plains of Naboo. For me, I was like the yuppie nightmare. I don't want it to end. That image is kind of like where the yuppie experience went eventually mm. which is like white flight <laughs> but white flight white flight it's like we live in the city let's go to new england in a cottage that's still too close to bad things what was the big late 80s early 90s yuppie dream all the time you always heard 
get a ranch in Montana. Uh-huh. I'm going to get a ranch. I'm going to get out and I can do like, that's what this movie was. It was like Andy McDowell's yuppie fantasy come true <laughs> in real life. She like, you know, it's just people. Harrison like, I'm Ford, gonna buy, yeah. I have disposable income. I'm rich enough that I can just buy a ranch to be away from people. Yeah. So I thought that was like such a funny, happy ending. It was like, I guess this is ultimately what a yuppie <laughs> wants is to have a really nice house and not have to deal with other people. I mean, it does seem like a little late stage yuppie nightmare too. And that like, it's not necessarily like fatal attraction where it's like Michael Douglas and Ann Archer are yuppies and it's about their nightmare. It's more kind of like, it does seem to be like we're past eighties excess so when Kevin Spacey is saying things like money is like blood and we need it to run and to live and without it, we die. I'm like, oh, we've now gone around where to be a yuppie is the bad thing. It's not, uh, I have my yuppie lifestyle and it's safe. And then somebody comes and disrupts it. It's like, oh, what if, uh, I was seduced by a yuppie who wasn't really a, it was the worst thing. He was a yeah. phony. He wasn't yeah. a true rich guy. He just pretended to get money or, you know. Oh my God. <laughs> uh, well, well, any other? Um, at least it has a Christmas scene. I'll give it Yeah, that, that was nice. And um, uh, when Spacey showed up in a neck brace, I did think to myself, Spacey in a neck brace, neck brace on. Spacey <laughs> with a neck, neck brace, brace on. Spacey <laughs> with a neck brace, neck brace. Uh, I noticed that uh, when they first have their double date at the Spacey residence and he's playing piano, it's in that big red room. Oh, I love, yeah, the and red light district version yes. of suburbia. A and big she red starts room. singing, I would just run. There's the Dude. most uncomfortable four people, and this is the oh. environment. This is what's happening here. I love the running in parallel escalation of a male heteronormative relationship of like, we go jogging. Yeah. Then we build up to biking. Then we build up to boxing. Oh, God, similar right. like with yuppie double dating. It was like, uh, first we start with yachting. Yeah. Then we go to a cabin. Yeah. Then we play baseball and tackle each other before we have a picnic. <laughs> And, and I also kept, didn't like how they drank Cokes at those. Yeah, picnics. out of the bottles. Uh, I don't like Coke being used in an improper way. Like, uh, <laughs> Coca-Cola is good. It represents all that, that is good. Uh, that Kevin Spacey, some kind of alpha boxing trainer, went and then spotting him doing his sit-ups and, and his all first stuff. taste is for free offer of like, I'll give you a loan. You don't even have to pay me back. And then punches him in the stomach. <sighs> And then because I don't know what I Bak- like this guy <laughs> <laughs> because I don't know what Bakula is doing in this movie the morning after Kevin Klein has sex with the neighbor and comes back and stares at his wife at the breakfast table and she's reading a newspaper that says backdoor sale whoa in big red letters backdoor sale after what is that Kevin Klein went in from behind, up behind. yeah weird also I actually did really like that scene because I do like the moments when you can like find something that happens between a couple and it reaches the level of thrillerdom just because it's in that genre. Yeah. So like anybody who's in a relationship or has been married has sat down at a table. Do you look at your partner and you go, what are they feeling? Yeah. What are they thinking? Right? Can I have access to this? 
because it would help me if I knew. And so it was funny when he's like trying to be like, did she get fucked last night? And was it yeah. better than me? It was just oh, like such a there's funny... There's a, a sort of similar scene in Presumed Innocent that... Well, oh, that's what I was going to say with this being... He did Presumed Innocent. This movie feels like somebody who misheard the plot for Presumed Innocent or something, Maybe, right? yeah. Because Presumed... I mean, at least he had the... It was a it was successful. So presum- maybe that's why he went back to the... Yeah, and it's a good movie. It's based on the Turo book. And it. I think because he had a story... It worked, but yeah. clearly, if this movie's any indication, he shouldn't be left. I'd be curious to read because when Brantley, when I read in his notes that the life was the yeah mastermind villain, I was like, Ooh, "That's cool." Imagine you're the screenwriter of this movie, and this is what it ends up with. Like, that's just that's. I feel horrible for that person because they're going like, "My movie got sold." But who is making my movie? I mean, and not to keep bringing it back to the Buena Vista of it all, but that was like the famous story was Pretty Woman. Remember the guy sold the script that was like this hard, mm. edgy drama about uh, a real life sad Cinderella story where prostitutes picked up and then it end, It was an unhappy ending. And then Touchstone made it. They're like, can you make it just Cinderella? <laughs> it, like, at least that was a hit and a fun movie. Yeah. This is like a total dive bomb. I know, and it's it, it uh, it'd be impossible to make this material palatable. I think where you would like that, like I said, it would have to. It be, hinges on something that nobody would do. Well, it has to be Kevin Spacey convincing Kevin Klein that his wife wants to be seduced, and him not telling his wife. Yeah, that so that our hero remains duped, but not. Predatory, you know. Uh-huh. I don't know. No, I mean, you're that's, right. That's all the notes I have. Um, yeah, let and me. Frankly, uh, I'm not going to give it another note. <laughs> oh, it uh, another song I wanted to sing is when he does go up into that red room and he stands behind the wife. I see a little silhouette of Kevin Klein. <laughs> Uh, I also came up with another skit. Scary about- douche, scary douche. <laughs> scary douche. <laughs> this is not related to consenting adults, but I did come up with a new spoof if I could sing it to you. I would okay. be honored. Um, <laughs> Thank you for acknowledging. <laughs> hey, wait, I got a new plantain. <laughs> Forever in debt to your potassium. <laughs> Okay, all right. Heart shaped box plantain parody. I'm the weird owl of fruit based parody songs. Grunge, grunge. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, uh, 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 Klein with Southern Lawyer. Um, oh, another version, uh, Example of like the sloppy editing. Remember when the wife comes in to meet him in prison and yeah. have a conversation, then it just cuts to him boxing, and then it goes back to into another scene with her in prison talking to him and being like, Now I'm gonna divorce you. That was like where I felt like ten minutes was taken out of there. Cause it went from her making the decision to being like, It's weird that you did this to now I'm making the choice to leave you, and then finding out later it's Kevin Spacey. Which if I could just see one scene 
of her with Kevin Spacey, so I knew what the f was going on between even them. before any of the bad stuff went down. Their scenes was it was just him mansplaining investment to her. Oh. It, like there was no chemistry. Not her going, wow, he really knows his numbers. We didn't get. I mean, I was bringing it up. I didn't get to it. But when you were bringing up the sultry helps. blue singing, oh. Don't put a headstone on my grave. I love the moment where they're trying to really build up that like these two could get together. It was it was such a white yuppie dude fantasy where it was like, this woman will sing blues while I play the piano. And then for Kevin Klein, it was like, I love hearing her talk about how she's going to knock down a wall and renovate. Or, That's like or, a man's fantasy. Oh, God. His, she sings blues or she wants to renovate. His fantasy is she just sit there and listen to me talk investment. Yes. Oh, remember uh, drug treatment centers yeah. of the new. Um, <sighs> Was that that blue song? I don't. It feels like it's original for this movie. The amount they use it to. Yeah. I or don't is know. it a standard? I don't know, I don't know. what it was. We should cover it <laughs> next week. <laughs> a townland uh, don't stop or we'll die like show closing thing where we all come out and do this really slow ballad that has virtually no instrumentation or arrangement. <laughs> um, do you know what was going on when he went to that guy's house? Let me the, uh, stop you. No. With the shotgun? No. Oh. Remember uh, when he shows up that guy's house and he's like, that guy's like, get off my oh, property. Yeah, he's there to- Was he working with Kevin Spacey? Yeah, that was the guy. He We don't know how or why, but that guy covered his alibi and said he was there with him that night. Man, I thought I was going to get a scrapbooking scene there, dude. Uh, I thought that was going to be the like, who you? We haven't talked to Eddie in years. Oh, yeah. Well, I just came by. Well, you can look at his scrapbooks if you want. And you're like looking. He's like, oh, my God, he failed out of business school. And, you know, They're like, all actually like craft scrapbooks <laughs> from the 2000s. Somebody has a word bubble above their head that says bad hair day. <laughs> Ack. Ack. What are you going to do? Life's a beach. Uh... uh I do love in uh, a movie like a thriller, like Craig Wallace gets some of what's like the Somebody Devil when the man becomes darkened by these notions, oh, like when yeah. Kevin Space or Kevin Klein's looking out the window and it's like do 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 do, or when yeah. he's like, oh, I have to go undercover playing piano in a blues band uh, to try to find this woman, and they look over and was like, oh, he's really fallen. He's got a Wait, five o'clock shadow. Why he did that? I think he's there to see if she's going to show back up, oh or he's like, God. "I'll be around here, but I'll go undercover." It's like supposed to be like, "Oh, oh look at he's fallen. He's so destitute." Yeah, the five o'clock, as if the mustache weren't enough. He's on his way to a beard. The poor fellow, <laughs> right for the full. And I, you know, there was some cool like seventies touches. Like I like. They would do sometimes like these zoom ins and zoom outs that were like very the slow like, ones. All the president's men's. Yeah. Yeah, men's. Yeah, I didn't Menzies. mean to say it again there. It that again. was a. Uh, um, I knew you had an end to that joke. <laughs> uh, yeah, then. Uh, so there's like, yeah, 15 minutes left. And I would say whether it's a thriller or a horror movie. Or an action movie. <laughs> or an action movie. The last 15 minutes, you should just be barreling toward the finish. And when it was like her going to a laundromat and pulling out a ticket in the pocket and being like, oh, 
later. I, like, I still don't know. I did it. I mean, I, I know, know that's a reveal. But that should I, be a moment where we're like, holy shit, it's on. And instead I was like, huh? And like then it was the like, wind chimes were more effective <laughs> than that. Well, you know, like I, these thrillers, they just like work. Like if you set up a joke, right. And you're like, you're Fatal Attraction knew how to tell a joke. I know. This Cause it's just, just not, like, you can't overcomplicate it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's it. What was um uh oh oh when he did have that Uzi and he's got like blonde hair and he's wearing a suit. Uh I love late eighties, early nineties like action villains like in that Michael J. Fox movie The Hard Way, it's the potty crasher. <laughs> he's got like spiked blonde hair and he oh, walks yeah. in, he's like shoots a high-tech gun. Oh no, the party crasher. He seemed like a villain, not yeah. from like a latter season episode of Miami oh, Vice definitely. or something. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing. He seemed like some coke-addled <laughs> drug lord that's on his last legs. Um, and I did like that uh, his body at the end was splayed on a bed. And it was like, so ends the crime where it began. Jesus. In the bedroom, on the bed, not since falling on a picket fence has there been a more <laughs> on the nose. Or a bathtub. Yeah. Huh? I don't know why that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, what are you going to do for best thrill? Because I've got an unprecedented best thrill. I wonder if it's mine. My best thrill is there isn't one. Ooh, that is not mine. <laughs> Mine is when she walked into the house, into the room, and he's playing the guitar. And he's like, fun in the sun, fun in the sun. And it sounds like Dave Grusin meets Beach Boys or something. And then she's like, how's it going? He's like, good, good, good. And then she walks away, and then he picks up a thing, and he throws it yeah. into the TV. I was like, whoa. Yeah. So that was my best throw when he threw a thing, an object into the TV. <laughs> uh, let's rank this son of a bitch. This is uh, our past rankings for this season. Fatal Attraction gets a 13 from both of us. Pacific Heights gets an 8 from both of us. I gave Sleeping with the Enemy a 9.5. You gave it a 9. I gave Hand That Rocks the Cradle an 11. You gave it an 11.5. Raising Cain, I gave a 5, and you gave it a 10. <laughs> Ooh, this is a different Do you like that are all of our De Palma? Arguments are, are, or discussions are you laying out a really good case for why it's difficult for you and me going, but that's why I like it. <laughs> but it works, Fred. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm going to go five and a half, I think. I'm going to go five. This is, this is not good in a different way. Um, <laughs> hey, you need to have a bottom so you know where the ceiling That's is. That's right. And Sliver, we're looking at you to find your way somewhere in the middle of that, yeah. I assume. We'll see. I've never seen Sliver. I have not, not either. Not a frame, so I'm very excited. Yeah, I love Behringer. Oh, I forget he's in this. Uh, and oh, I, I do, do like uh, Sharon Stone. So do I. And, so. you know, I got nothing against William Baldwin and no. nothing against Sliver's. No, not even Oh, slots. I don't like slivers. What am I talking about? The slivers of wood that get stuck in yeah, it? Yeah, you don't like Forget those. It. No. Uh, Do you uh, like the Nirvana song, Sliver? How's that one go? Uh, Mom and dad went to plantains. <laughs> they dropped me off at potassium. <laughs> okay. Oh, boy. Okay. See you next week. Bye. Bye.
For more Gorley and Rust content, head over to patreon.com slash with and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early, plus monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash with and Rust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Gorley, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review with Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Candy.